0: VTE in cancer, is it a cause for concern and what should we do about it? Get expert perspectives on managing VTE in patients with cancer in this episode of Critical Conversations on Venous Thromboembolism, a masterclass series on DVT and PE, where doctors Cohen and Dottelsweg close out their discussion on VTE management by focusing on patients with cancer and guideline-informed strategies for improving outcomes and reducing risks in this specific patient population. Access the full series and complete the post-test for credit at peerview.com forward slash
1: HBR 860. So glad you've joined us for the eighth and final episode, VTE in cancer. Is this something to be concerned with and what to do about it? So cancer is something to be concerned with and because it not only increases the risk of VTE, but we have to think about how we treat them with anticoagulants. And in this segment, I would like to show you a patient who's at risk of having recurrences and also consider what's the stage, what's the site of the cancer and how long has the cancer been present. Because many of these factors affect our treatment and many of them affect the patient's survival. So let's start with Tom who's 65, he's got lung cancer, he's had his chemo, he's having a routine CT for chest staging and he's noted to have a right upper lobe segmental PE. He's got no right ventricular enlargement, he's completely asymptomatic. So this is an incidental PE, more and more we're seeing cases like this. So... Should Tom receive anticoagulation? And if we are going to treat him, what are we going to use, Steve?
2: Yeah, so we know, what we do know, is that in folks that have um, uh, cancer, they are at much higher risk of development of thrombosis, VT in particular, and part of the treatment also puts them at risk, whether it's chemotherapy, what have you, at risk. And uh, the data goes back. Some time ago, I remember... You I'm sure you remember as well when uh, Dr. Lee and the old trials with uh parent that we you know we learned about the low molecular heparins and their benefit. Things have changed some over now over time, thank goodness. Uh but my initial for for the recognition that folks who so if uh, have cancer, the, the, the most common cause of death is cancer, but the second leading cause of death in patients with malignancy is VTE, and we have to respect that. So I would be an advocate of, of treatment uh anticoagulation and if so which uh we could talk through that but I would uh, I, apixaban is what we've been utilizing pretty commonly but you could think through um the other DOACs as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no I think that's true. So it's a common problem Steve because we looked at some of our real world data in the prefer and the Etna registries and colleague of ours, Walter Gino, looked in Garfield, and we could see that just the active cancer was occurring in around 10% of patients, and then there were at least another 6% of patients that have a history of cancer. And one of the things I think that isn't realized is that the overall burden of cancer is not occurring in the high risk for VTE cancers. The high risk of getting VTE occurs in brain, and stomach and pancreatic cancers, but they actually only lead to about 10% of all the cancer-associated VTE. And most of it is in the common cancers that we live long with and therefore have a risk over time. Things like prostate cancer, breast cancer, lung and colon. So they're common cancers with a common problem. But the guidelines, because of all the data we've done, over the last, all the clinical trials, I should say, over the last, well, four or five years we've, we've reported on them, they've changed, Steve. So could you summarize what the changes are in those guidelines?
2: Yeah, so you can go back uh, to 2018 pretty notably and the ISTH would recommend uh, edoxaban or rivaroxaban for particularly low-risk patients. And remember that these uh, uh, real-world data fed into the design of the randomized trials where we could see the physicians practicing giving DOACs, uh, such as apixaban or rivaroxaban, more frequently to these lower-risk patients. But then, fast forward a couple of years, and by 2020, um, the National Comprehensive Can- Cancer Network um, uh, really recommend all four of the DOACs, and are included apixaban. And also the bigotran, if the above, if any of these regimens or, that were uh, supported were were not appropriate. And now, nice just came out uh, really, pretty recently, and it said considering DOAC if there's active cancer is confirmed in patients with VTE, and that's where we pretty much ha- have been. So, so now it's really now pretty much the, uh, has become the norm to use a DOAC in in. Um, in these patients, and there's been meta-analyses that have supported that approach.
1: Yeah, and the cautions are clear now too. So the, when we talk about risk, we're talking about risk of bleeding as much as anything else, aren't we? And there, there's clearly some risks for GI cancer patients in patients receiving yes. ad, adoxaban and rivaroxaban. And in those patients, they recommend either low weight heparin or a pixaban is used. So that's, that's right. I think, an interesting... Uh, Interesting change in the guidelines over the last few years.
2: No doubt, agree, agree fully. So, in the context of cancer, in a DOAX versus low heparin, when we look at the long-term treatment effects in patients like this with malignant with cancer, you look at the first six months in one block, and then you go to the sec this um, the six to twelve month. And certainly, we noted and uh, that the DOAX definitely have been associated with a decrease in the risk of recurrent BT, but it does come at the expense of an increase in minor bleeding. So that's not major bleeding. It's not clinically relevant non-major bleeding. It's minor bleeding in that regard. And then when we took it further and we went beyond the six months or in the trials that went beyond the six months, the picture becomes much less clear of the DOAX versus VKA over that time uh, over that time, time period. So that's really incumbent upon us. at sets the stage to do more investigation. And that is all ongoing um, at present.
1: Yeah. And uh, we needed, I think, some real-world evidence. And some of the studies we've looked at, uh, looking at claims databases, have allowed us to compare the DOAX with low-molequate heparin, the vitamin k antagonist warfarin with low molecular weight heparin and apixaban versus warfarin or a doac versus warfarin no differences between warfarin and low molecular weight heparin but when we broke it out the low risk patients did better with warfarin and the higher risk patients did better with low molecular weight heparin as they showed in uh, professor lee's studies and then for apixaban versus warfarin there was an advantage for apixaban so reassuring data with the DOACs, uh in cancer-associated thrombosis. Uh, yeah. So let's try and think about Tom now as a different patient, Steve. What, what about if uh, Tom had gastric cancer?
2: Yeah, so if Tom had uh, gastric cancer, remember, he's 65 years of age, and here he's completed his chemo therapy... And he has an incidental detected pulmonary embolism during his routine abdominal CT imaging. His vitals are all within normal limits. And he has that right lower lobe segmental, not sub, but segmental PE with an RV-LV ratio less than one. Again, completely asymptomatic. So should he receive anticoagulation? If so, which anticoagulant? I'll put it to you, Dr. Cohn, how would you approach him?
1: Well, I think he's uh, high risk of bleeding uh, because he's got a gastric cancer. Um, the, if the, He's had some chemotherapy, but the gastric cancer might be not resected. Uh, and if it's not resected, that increases the risk of bleeding. In many of these patients, we'd use low weight heparin uh, initially and see how they respond and then we might consider a apixaban. But we wouldn't be using other treatments in this setting. But I know that many of my colleagues uh, are cautious and would like to use low heparin for a start, but there's no evidence in these patients from the randomized trials that they have more bleeding uh, with a apixaban. But we also know that the bleeding is increased in general. So we need to be careful here, Steve. Yeah, it's
2: a particularly noteworthy, agree fully, and it's a particularly noteworthy to, that we highlight the gastric cancer. And, and therefore, it, it's probably the, the last type of malignancy that folks are going to be um, embracing the DOAX thus far. So
1: we'll see. Thank you very much, Steve. And I'm really grateful for the opportunity to be able to work with you and discuss these important topics. Uh, we hope... Uh, That this has helped you uh, with your understanding of the evidence based approach to diagnosing VTE and selecting appropriate therapy and learn some new techniques for communicating with your patients. We invite you to take advantage of all these downloadable resources that we've developed as part of this activity, and we really hope that you found this series informative and useful to your clinical practice. And so, we wish you well, and it's goodbye from me, and over to Steve.
2: Yes, now it's been a great partnership, as always, Dr. Cohn, great friend, great partners, and uh, yeah. Thank you.
0: This activity is certified by PVI, Peer Review Institute for Medical Education. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. Download the slides and practice aids for this episode and others at peerreview.com forward slash HBR 860. Be sure to listen to all eight episodes in this Masterclass series and complete the post-test for instant credit at peerview.com forward slash HBR 860. This activity is supported by an educational grant from the Bristol-Myers Squibb and Pfizer Alliance.